Well, amen. Let's look in uh, Luke chapter 2. Luke chapter 2. I want to share a message entitled, A Light to Lighten, out of Luke chapter 2. We're going to begin reading in verse 25. While you're opening your Bibles up here, just a reminder, remember our midweek service this week will be uh, Thursday night. It'll be actually uh, New Year's Eve, and that'll be at 6 o'clock. So we want you to be a part of that. Uh, we're going to sing some uh, favorites that you enjoy singing and uh, have some special music and uh, preaching of the Word of God. Just rejoice in the fact that the Lord is giving us a new year to go into. Amen. So <laughs> praise the Lord. A light to lighten. Luke chapter 2 in uh, verse 25. It says, Behold, there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon, and the same man was just and devout, waiting for the consolation of Israel, and the Holy Ghost was upon him. And it was revealed unto him by the Holy Ghost that he should not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. And he came by the Spirit into the temple, and when the parents uh, brought in the child Jesus to do for him after the custom of the law, then took him, uh, he him up in his arms and blessed God and said, Lord, now lettest thou thy servant depart in peace according to thy word. For mine eyes have seen thy salvation, which thou hast prepared before the face of all people, a light to lighten the Gentiles and the glory of thy people Israel. And Joseph and his mother marveled at those things uh, which were spoken of him. And Simeon blessed them and said unto Mary, his mother, Behold, this child is set for the fall and the rising again of many in Israel, and for a sign which shall be spoken against. Yea, a sword shall pierce through thine own soul also, that the thoughts of many hearts may be revealed. And there was one Anna, a prophetess, and daughter of Peniel, of the tribe of Asher, uh, she was a great. Of, um, she was of great age, and had lived with her husband seven years from her virginity, and she was a widow of about fourscore and four years, uh, which departed not from the temple, but served God uh, with fastings and prayers night and day. And she coming in. Uh, that instant gave thanks likewise unto the Lord and spake of him to all them that looked for the redemption in Jerusalem. And when they had performed all things according to the law of the Lord, they returned uh, into Galilee to their own city, Nazareth. And the child grew and waxed strong in spirit, filled with wisdom, and the grace of God was upon him. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for allowing us to be gathered together this morning to be able to worship and praise our God. We're thankful for a great Christmas that you gave us, Lord, and just another opportunity for us to not only remember the birth of Christ, but to be able to share the good news that the Savior has come. And uh, Lord, we've been able to just uh, be uh, excited and celebrating the reality that God is with us, Emmanuel. And so, Lord, I pray that you'd bless the preaching of the Word of God this morning. If there's someone watching a live stream or someone in the building here this morning that is not sure they're saved, I pray that today would be the day of salvation for them. I pray they would understand a very simple truth that is presented to us throughout the Scriptures, that uh, salvation is offered to all men, all women, all boys and girls, and it's offered to all of us through Jesus Christ. 
and we can have faith in who Christ is and what he did for us on Calvary, and we can be gloriously saved and born again. So bless the preaching of the word of God this morning. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Our text verse is verse 32. It says, A light to lighten the Gentiles and the glory of thy people Israel. Uh, it's interesting that as you study the uh, story, the Gospels in reference to the story of the birth of Christ, that Mark and John do not give any details about the birth of Jesus Christ. I think it's twofold. Mark is presenting Christ as a servant, so no one's really interested in the genealogy of a servant. But Jesus Christ is being presented as God in John, and so uh, certainly we don't want to... Uh, bring in his humanity when we talk about the reality he was God in the flesh. He literally was Emmanuel. So Mark and John uh, do not give us many details. However, Luke and Matthew do give us a lot of details. And I just want to highlight a few things and establish kind of a timeline. Uh, and uh, you say, yeah, I don't agree with your timeline. That's all right. Don't get mad and don't get offended. Just get right with God. Amen. No. <laughs> There's a lot of details as far as time that is not recorded in Scripture, but I just was kind of interested in how uh, things are identified as taking place at, as different, at different times. Luke records for us, of course we know this, that Gabriel's announcement to Mary in Luke chapter 1, and I'm not going to look all these verses up. Uh, we've read them over the years, and uh, certainly you know them, but you can jot them down and look them up later. But Gabriel's announcement to Mary that she would be with child is found in Luke chapter 1 in verse 26. And then, of course, we know that Joseph and Mary uh, have it confirmed in their hearts that they are to go to Bethlehem because of the fact there was a decree made by Caesar Augustus that all had to be taxed. And so we have Gabriel's announcement to Mary, uh, the confirmation of the angel to Joseph, uh, the decree to be taxed in Luke chapter 2 and verse 1, and then the angel's message to the shepherds in Luke chapter 2 and verse 9 and 10. And so you can just kind of read through all Luke chapter 2 and uh, chapter 1 and chapter 2, and it gives you this great uh, uh, events that took place. And after the message to the shepherds, uh, there's the circumcision of Jesus eight days after his birth. That's recorded in Luke chapter 2 and verse 21. And then the star is not mentioned in Luke. And uh, the star that uh, guides the wise men is not mentioned in Luke. It's only mentioned in Matthew. And so the star is not mentioned. The wise men are not mentioned in Luke. But in Matthew, and then we go to look at Matthew, we see the star being announced. And uh, the, the wise men seeing that star, Matthew 2, 2, saying, Where is he that is born king of the Jews? For we have seen a star in the east and are come to worship him. And I'm of the mindset that star did not appear until Jesus was born. And uh, when that star was shining over where Christ was born, the wise men in the east, now we don't know where they come from, came from. Some think they came from Babylon. Some think some, they may have come as far as from China, the area of China. But the Bible doesn't tell us where they come, came from. It just says they were wise men from the east, and they saw the star that announced the birth of Christ. And Herod wanted to know in Matthew 2, 4, and then Herod, when he had privately called the wise men, inquired of them diligently what time the star appeared. 
very important statement because Herod wants to establish a time frame here, a timeline here, when the Messiah was born because his kingdom is threatened and he wants to be able to deal with that. It's not that he was curious about worshiping Christ. It was about he was wanted to be aware of where was this one that would threaten his reign and his authority over Israel. But in Matthew chapter 2 and verse 9 It says, when they had heard the king, they departed, and lo, the star which they saw in the east went before them till it came and stood over where the young child was. And when they saw the star, they rejoiced with exceeding great joy. And so it's interesting that Luke identifies Christ as a babe in a manger. Uh, Matthew identifies Christ as a young child in a house. So there's two different events that are going on, the shepherds before the manger and the wise men being guided and directed by the star. So here's just kind of a little time frame here. Uh, the timing of the star is significant. As I said, I believe it was shining when Christ was born. Uh, when they come to the house in Matthew chapter 2 and verse 11, they find a young child there. They don't find a babe in the manger. We know the wise men, when they come into his presence, present gifts of gold and frankincense and myrrh. Uh, it, I de- we always say three wise men. The reality is they would have had to prepare a caravan to travel from where they were in the east to get to the place where this Messiah was born. Most likely there was more than three wise men. Uh, the reality is we always say three wise men because they have three gifts that were offered unto uh, Jesus Christ. Oftentimes people say, well, I don't, why would they give him gold and frankincense and myrrh? Uh, the reason is uh, they're, he, they're going to be warned that Herod wants to kill the baby and they're going to have to travel to Egypt and that would pay for their travel expense to get there and get back. God had already provided for them in a miraculous way. So here, here's the time frame in a nutshell. Jesus is conceived of the Holy Ghost. There's a decree to be taxed, and uh, Mary and Joseph would have to travel to Bethlehem from Jerusalem, which is about 90 miles, on foot, riding on the back of a... This interesting thought, too. We always think of Mary riding on the back of a donkey, but the Bible doesn't say that. And uh, I just thought, I was reading several different things on it, and I thought, some of you are starting to look weird at me, but that's okay. You'll get over it. Oh, uh, I was reading some things, and I never thought about it this way before. I'm not a woman, so praise God I'm not. But anyway, a woman that is about ready to give birth to a child riding on the back of a donkey, really? Uh, you ladies know better than I do about those issues, amen? But anyway, they said most likely she would have walked that 90 miles to get down to Bethlehem, which would be reasonable. Most of the time, they would travel about 10 miles a day, 10 or 12 miles a day. I remember when I was in Bible college, my uh, college, we did a fundraiser for uh, a -a walk-a-thon to raise money for the college, and it was a 15-mile walk. I thought my wife and I were going to die before we got back. That ah, 15 miles, no problem. I mean, I was in the Marine Corps. We used to run 10 miles, you know. And we went out. By the time I got to about eight miles, I was like, please, oh, man, Lord, send a bus to pick us up, you know. But anyway, they would travel about, on average, about 10 miles a day. 
So you do math and you can figure out how long it would take them to get to Bethlehem. When they get to Bethlehem, of course, Jesus is born. The shepherds come and worship. And the star shines in the east and the wise men begin to prepare to come. Now, the wise men just wouldn't get in their SUV and drive. They would have to get a caravan put together. They would have to get supplies put together because the trip, they do not know how long the trip is going to be. Uh, they certainly would have to gather the gifts that they are going to bring to this king and offer. They would have to prepare. They could, they say it could have taken up to a month for them to prepare just for the trip and then have to travel 100 miles, 200 miles in this caravan to get to the place where Jesus was so they could worship him. It was quite an ordeal. Uh, Jesus, of course, is after he is born, eight days, uh, he is taken, uh, I believe that he was probably, there was a priest in Bethlehem that would have circumcised him. Uh, and it would be circumcised according to the law of Moses in Leviticus chapter 12 and verse 3. Uh, fulfills Galatians 4.4 because 4, in the fullness of time God sent forth his son made of a woman made under the law. And so Christ would have to be cir cir circumcised the eighth day to fulfill the commands and the demands of the law. The interesting thing is in, in Luke chapter 2 where we read and we're going to talk about that in a little bit here. Oh, uh, that 40 days later, so Jesus would be 40 days old, Mary would have to go to Jerusalem. They just traveled from Jerusalem to Bethlehem, but she would have to travel to Jerusalem to fulfill her time of purification after having a baby. And Luke chapter, uh, Leviticus chapter 12 tells us about that. And at that time is when the male child would be presented to the Lord. And so that's why a passage we let, read here, Mary is in Jerusalem, it's a 40 days of purification, and Simeon is there as he's being, Christ is being presented to the Lord. And that would require them to bring a sacrifice in Luke chapter 2, verse 22 through and 24, speaks of the sacrifice that they would have to offer. And then in Luke 2, 28, where we read this morning, Simeon takes Jesus in his arms. So that tells me that he was just a little baby. So the time frame of Simeon coming in contact with Christ at the temple in Jerusalem would be around that 40-day mark. Because Mary now is there to be purified, and she presents Jesus to the Lord and so Simeon takes him in his arms, and so 40 days have passed. 90 miles have been traveled from Bethlehem to Jerusalem, and now that the sacrifice and the presentation is over, there's 90 miles to travel back to Bethlehem. You say, well, how do you know they went back to Bethlehem? Because the wise men will find him in Bethlehem. They won't find him in the manger, but they'll find him in Bethlehem. So they had to travel back to Bethlehem. The wise men meet with Herod. Uh, the wise men go and follow the, what the scriptures had uh, testified to, where the Messiah, this new king, was to be born. They follow the star. The wise men meet with Herod, and the wise men find Jesus, a young child in Bethlehem. And so now they have traveled 90 miles to Bethlehem. Now Herod orders all male children two years old and under to be slain. And so that would mean 
that Jesus would have had to have been around one or two years old, possibly some believe three years old, when the wise men met him and saw him in the house in Bethlehem. So that kind of throws a wrench into our little displays that we put up. My wife and I always put the wise men on the other side of the living room and so they're not there at the nativity scene. We make sure that they're traveling to get there, amen? Uh, uh, Joseph and Mary are warned about uh, the Herod's intentions and warned that uh, harm could come to this child and so they flee down to Egypt. And so as they go down to Egypt, we know several things. It's about 400 miles from Bethlehem to Egypt. So they had a long travel to get there. We know another thing, that while they were in Egypt, they were there, there until the death of Herod, which was about three years. So now while they're in Egypt, when they get ready to leave Egypt to come back, uh, to actually, when they come back, they'll come back to Nazareth, not Bethlehem or not Jerusalem. They come back to Nazareth. Nazareth is about 490 miles that they will need to travel. And uh, that, so that means at the time of going to Nazareth, by the time they got to Nazareth, Jesus would probably be about six years old. And then they would travel from Nazareth down to Jerusalem, uh, which is about 64 miles. And when they would come down, it says in our text, in where we read in verse 39 of Luke chapter 2, it says, And when they had performed all things according to the law of the Lord, they returned to Galilee uh, to their own city, Nazareth. So it would seem that Simeon is in Jerusalem when Jesus is 40 days old when he's presented as Mary is purified. It would seem that Anna does not find Jesus or see Jesus at the temple until he's about six years old, six or seven years old. Because of the fact that it states here that they were there and they were going back to Nazareth according to what they did every year. So it's just kind of an interesting thought uh, that uh, there's a different time frame taking place between the time Simeon sees Christ and when Mary sees Christ. And uh, you say, what does that have to do with anything? I absolutely don't know. It just I thought it was interesting studying and looking it out to see when he would be in different places. And uh, But the, the important thing is, is that they, as he is presented to the Lord in the presence of Simeon, and as he is presented in worship and praise of his God in reference to Anna, there are spiritual lessons that we can learn from these two people. In reference to the birth of Christ, in reference to the Messiah coming into this world. Notice, first of all, uh, when we think about the, uh, the encounters that's going on here, there's two desires that are expressed by Simeon and Anna. Notice, first of all, Simeon in verse 25 says that the same man was just and devout. Here it is, waiting for the consolation of Israel. The desire of Simeon, uh, Simeon is the consolation of Israel. Consolation means to be peace. 
or be comforted. You know, Jesus Christ is called the Prince of Peace. And so Simeon and all of his duties and responsibilities and his worship of God in the temple uh, had a desire that Israel might be able to experience the peace of God that passes all understanding. The psalmist says that we're supposed to pray for the peace of Israel, of Jerusalem. And so Simeon's desire was that this consolation, this peace would come to Israel. But Anna's uh, desire was different, a little bit different in verse 38. It says that Anna spake of him to all them that looked for redemption in Jerusalem. So here is the desire of Simeon, Simeon waiting for the consolation or peace in Israel, while at the same time Anna is looking for the redemption that would come to Israel. The amazing thing is both of these desires that are on their hearts will be fulfilled in one person, and that's Jesus Christ. He would bring peace to his people, but he would also establish redemption through the offering of his own self and the shedding of his own blood. So there's two desires expressed here for us in uh, Simeon and Anna. I see that there's two encounters experienced because uh, here is Simeon. He's in uh, the temple in Jerusalem, and he's there... Uh, encountering Jesus Christ when he's about 40 days old because in verse 28 says he took him up in his arms and blessed God and said Lord now let us thy servant depart in peace and so Simeon uh, is encountering Christ uh, when he's being presented to the Lord after Mary has been purified according to the law of Moses in Leviticus chapter 12 and so he's literally looking at a little baby 40-day-old uh, baby as he praises God to be able to look upon his face. Anna, however, her encounter, according to verse 39, and I already mentioned this, read the verse, that they were coming from Nazareth and returning to Nazareth as a normal thing that they did every year. And so Anna would had to have seen Christ after the traveling to Egypt, after returning to Nazareth, and then as they came down to Jerusalem to worship in their yearly time of feast and sacrifices, so she would have to, he would have to be at least six or seven years old when Anna would encounter him. Now, the time frame is not as important as the reality of what they experience and what they reveal to us when they encounter Christ. May I say that? That's a significant thing in our lives is not about the time frame, whether you're a young child or you're an older person or you're married or you're single. That is not the significant thing is not your age or your experiences in life. It's your encounter with Jesus Christ. And they encountered Christ at two different ages. Uh, but the, the outcome is significant for us to experience and know. So there's two desires, there's two encounters, and there's two statements made by Simeon and Anna. Notice, first of all, in verse 34 and 35, 
of Luke chapter 2, And Simeon blessed them and said unto Mary his mother, Behold, this child is set for the fall and rising again of many in Israel, and for a sign which shall be spoken against. Yea, a sword shall pierce through thine own soul also, that the thoughts of many hearts may be revealed. Notice, first of all, Simeon's statement was a warning of suffering. And certainly it was one of the hard things for the disciples to accept and learn and understand that Jesus Christ came into this world to suffer and to die and to take the reproach of mankind upon himself. And so Simeon would be giving a warning of suffering. The statement from Anna is in verse 38. She coming in in the instant gave thanks Likewise unto the Lord, and spake of him to all them that looked for the redemption in Jerusalem. So Simeon's statement was one of warning of suffering. Anna's statement is one of expression of gratitude. When she saw Jesus Christ come into the temple, she gave thanks to God immediately because the reality of the desire for Israel to experience the redemption of God was standing in her presence. And so Simeon and Anna present to us two desires, two encounters, and two statements. So what can we learn in these two individuals? That's all introduction. Amen. I'm glad you're saying. I'm glad he got through that. But anyway, notice in verse 26 and 27, first of all, we see the filling of the Holy Spirit. And uh, verse 26 it says, and it was revealed unto him, that's Simeon, it was revealed unto him by the Holy Ghost that he should not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. And he came by the Spirit into the temple. And when the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him after the custom of the law. And so it's very clear here that Simeon was filled with the Holy Spirit and he was willing to follow the leading, the leadership of the Holy Spirit in his life. And so, first of all, I see in verse 26, the filling of the Holy Spirit gave him confidence of life. In verse 26, that he should not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. Uh, what a glorious thing it is to have confidence that we have life in Christ Jesus. And uh, Simeon was assured of the fact that you do not have to worry or you don't have to uh, uh, be fearful of the day when you're going to die because you'll not die until you have had the opportunity to look in the face of the one who is the Savior of this world, uh, the Messiah for Israel. Jesus said, I am come to give you life and give you life more abundantly. And oftentimes people are trying to find meaning for life, trying to find direction in life, and they can't find it unless they turn to Jesus Christ. In John chapter 12, in uh, verse 46, Jesus said, I am come a light into the world. Whatsoever, I'm sorry, whosoever believeth on me should not abide in darkness. And the glory of Israel was the fact that their Messiah has come and he was a light to lighten the Gentiles and he was the glory of his people Israel. And so he, that gives us confidence in life. People say, well, I'm just not sure who I am. I'm just not sure how I should live. Hey, listen, come to faith in Christ and everything will be all right. 
Come to faith in Christ and he'll give you direction and leadership for your life. I'm going to tell you, when you put your faith in Jesus Christ, everything changes. And I love the choir song we used to sing years ago, everything changed that night. And I'm going to tell you, when you trust Christ as your Savior, everything changes. And this man, Simeon, uh, was assured by the filling of the Holy Spirit of God that he need not fear death. May I say this to you? You don't need to fear death. Uh, as a Christian, as a believer, uh, death has no hold on us. Uh, to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. Uh, we are confident that the Lord's going to come and he's going to rapture the believer up to heaven. But when he does, he's going to raise the dead that are in Christ out of the grave. And so faith in Christ, the fullness of the Spirit of God that confirms in us who Jesus is, it gives us confidence in our life. We can confident with confidence live our life. I, this whole thing with COVID, I may get COVID. I, I'm not praying for it. I don't want it. I'm trying to stay away from it. But I'm going to tell you one thing right now. I am not going to live my life in fear and defeatism because of something that is going on in this world. Because listen, if God be for us, who can be against us? And Simeon, Simeon came on the scene and when he saw Jesus Christ, he was confirmed in his heart that he need not fear death because it was the Holy Ghost of God that had revealed to him that he had confidence in life. And you can have confidence in life uh, with the filling of the Holy Spirit of God. Notice in verse 27 that there's clearness of leading. In verse 27, it says he came in the spirit in the uh, by the Spirit into the temple, and when the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him after the custom of the law. I'm glad that he had clearness of leading. That, in other words, that God makes a clear path for us to go on. It's not confusing to live for Christ. Uh, it's not confusing to know what the will of God is for your life. I, I just know this. If you just start doing what the Bible says to do, you'll automatically fall right into the uh, will of God for your life. And uh, John chapter 1 and verse 23 says, He said, I am a voice of one crying in the wilderness. This is John the Baptist. Make straight the way of the Lord, as said the prophet Isaiah clearness in the leading of God. Uh, Simeon just simply was following the leading of the Holy Ghost in his life. And because of that, the Holy Spirit brought him into the presence of Jesus Christ. Uh, if, if we put, the get, put aside all our negative thoughts about religion, put, us, put, it, put out of our minds all the experiences in our life that has caused us to despise God, put out of our mind all the sins and all the lusts and all the desires that our flesh has, set it aside and look unto Jesus. I'll guarantee you the Holy Spirit will make a clear path for you to walk down to be in fellowship with him. I'm glad for the clearness of leading. Then in verse 28 and 29 of Luke chapter 2, I see a conscience of lauding. I had to use lauding rather than worship or praise because it starts with an L, you know, and matches the rest of it. But anyway, in uh, verse 28, it says, Then took he him up in his arms and blessed God. I, you know, every time I read that verse, I just think of this picture of Simeon taking the baby Jesus 
picking up the eternal God, picking up the one who created Simeon, picking up the one who is the Lamb of God, which is slain before the foundation of the world. And as he picked him up, the immediate response was not to gripe and complain, but his immediate response was bless God and worship and laud the God of heaven. Verse 29 says, The Lord, now let us thy servant depart in peace according to thy word. I'm thankful he was not wanting to experience something or do anything that was contrary to the word of God. And so I see there's a conscious lauding. Psalm 69, I have these verses on the screen for you. Psalm 69, 30 says, I will praise the name of God with a song and will magnify him with thanksgiving. Amen. Why do we sing congregational songs when we come in together? Because we will magnify the name of our God with a song. You know, the Lord has put a song in your heart. You know, I'm glad the Lord put a song in my heart. Years ago, I was driving a tractor. When you're riding on an old two-cylinder track, John Deere tractor, it's loud. And you think nobody can hear you. But I'm going to tell you, when you start shouting or singing, whatever you're doing, the, the air carries your voice. I was riding down the back lane, going down to the gravel hole. We were hauling some dirt. And I was driving an old John Deere B tractor, and I was, I was having a revival, man, I'll tell you what. I was having a time of my life. I was, I was praising God, and I wasn't even saved at that time. And I was shouting, I was a preaching, I mean, I was having a great time. I pulled up in the gravel hole, my dad looked at me and said, boy, what are you doing, having a revival meeting? And, uh, you know, you, we had, when God saved me, God took what he had instilled down in my heart before I knew what it was, even praises unto my God, and he opened my mouth and he released it and he let me go, and I can't stop shouting and praising the Lord Jesus Christ. Why? Because I want to praise his name, because there's no one greater than he. Psalm 86 and 12 says, I will praise thee, O Lord my God, with all my heart. I will glorify thy name forever. I mean, we pour ourselves into life. We pour ourselves into our job. We pour ourselves into sports. We pour ourselves into finances. Why can't we just pour our heart into God? Why can't we surrender all that we are and worship and praise of him? I mean, Simeon wasn't holding anything back. He wasn't lifting up Christ in his arms and saying, well, Hope nobody's looking. Well, maybe I'll, I'll do it. Praise, bless God. He didn't do that. He could care less if somebody saw what he was doing. He surrendered his whole heart. Psalm 108.3 says, I will praise thee, O Lord, among the people. I will sing praises unto thee among the nations. You know, it would be all right if Christians did a little praising around the unsaved. Oh, oh they, don't, they don't understand. That's offensive. Well, you know what? Their music offends me. So, wait a minute. Great peace. Listen. Great peace have they that love thy law, and nothing shall offend them. They just need to get the law of God in their heart. They need to get right with God, and they'll start praising God with us. Amen? We need to do a little demonstration once in a while of what it means to praise God. Psalm 111 and verse 1 says, Praise ye the Lord. I will praise the Lord with my whole heart. In the assembly of the upright, people say, oh, you don't have to go to church. 
tells me in the assembly of the upright, in the congregation, what is he doing? Worshiping and praising God. The fullness of the Holy Spirit of God will move us to a place of consciously lauding and celebrating all that Christ is. I like what Watchman Nee said. He says, many saints cannot distinguish inspiration from emotion. And we have that problem. People say, oh, people shout amen. People get excited. That, that's just emotions. Then you have other people say, well, you know, I, uh, people, people just aren't very emotional, not very excited about God because they won't say amen. What's the problem? I'll tell you what the problem is. Saints of God cannot distinguish between inspiration and emotion. Then he goes on, he says, actually, these two can be defined readily. Emotion always enters from man's outside. However, he says, whereas inspiration originates with the Holy Spirit in man's spirit. So if I'm going to get all excited about God because of everything that's going on, we got flashing lights up here and people are jumping up and down, man. I'll tell you, it look like they're doing their exercises. They've been to the gym and all this. No, man, we're just, we're getting down. We're worshiping the Lord. No, you're not. That's emotion because it's generated from the outside. But when you walk in the Holy Spirit of God, the Spirit of God stirs a man's heart to where he gets excited and wants to acknowledge all that God is in his life. That is the difference. And so the filling of the Holy Spirit. My goodness, i got to move on. Point two, revealing of salvation. Notice in verse 30 through 32, in verse 30, the revealing of salvations in a person. Notice verse 30, for mine eyes... I've seen thy salvation. What has he seen? He's seen Christ. Salvation's in a person. Salvation isn't in this church. I often say this is a salvation station. Amen. What does that mean? We're pointing people towards Christ. They don't get saved because we saved them. They get saved because you point them to Christ. It's a person of Christ. Thou shalt call his name Jesus. Why? For he shall save his people from their sins. So salvation is in the person of Christ. Notice in verse 31, the people of the world. Verse 31, which thou hast prepared before the face of all people. And I read that this, this morning. I was rereading over my message and, and going over a few things. And I thought, when I read that, I thought immediately of Revelation uh, chapter 14. Revelation chapter 14, if I can find the verse. Yeah, verse 6 and 7. And uh, talking about the multitudes of people of the world. Uh, Revelation chapter 14, verse 6. And I saw another angel fly in the midst of heaven. Boy, the scenes that we'll be able to experience in heaven. Having the everlasting gospel to preach unto them that dwell on the earth. And to every nation and kindred and tongue and people. Saying with a loud voice. Fear God, give glory to him, for the hour of his judgment is come, and worship him that made heaven and earth and the sea and the foundations of waters. So I'm saying the revealing of the salvation that is through Christ is offered to all people. Why he's a light to lighten the Gentiles and the glory of his people, Israel. 
so to see the people of the world. There's not one person in this world that God wants to condemn and send to hell. God's not willing that any should perish. We should have that same spirit upon us. Notice the position of Israel in verse 32. It says, a light to lighten the Gentiles and the glory of his people Israel. You know, the apostle Paul said in Romans chapter 10 and verse 1, Brethren, my heart's desire for Israel is that they might be saved. And Paul had a desire down in his heart that Israel would come to know Christ as their, their Savior. And that was his desperate desire. But in Romans chapter 11, uh, Romans chapter 11 and verse 25 says, For I would not, brethren, that ye should be ignorant of this mystery, lest ye should be wise in your own conceits that blindness in part has happened to Israel until the fullness of the Gentiles become. Uh, now listen, don't, don't you get on Israel because God has a plan. He has a will for Israel. And don't get prideful and boastful about us as Gentiles because he's a light to lighten the Gentiles. Amen. Paul says, my heart's desires for Israel is that they might be saved. Now, don't be ignorant. Don't be prideful. Re acknowledge the fact that God's going to deal with Israel when the fullness of the Gentiles is coming in. in verse 26, and so all Israel shall be saved. As it is written, there shall come out of Zion the deliverer and shall turn away ungodliness from Jacob. You know what Israel needs? They need to turn to their Messiah. They need to turn to Jesus Christ. You know what America needs? It needs to turn to the Messiah. We need the deliverer to set us free. So I see the Holy Ghost, filling of the Holy Ghost. I see the revealing of salvation. And then Anna's statement in verse 38 and 39, I see the rejoicing in salvation. Notice in verse 38, the rejoicing in salvation is directed to the Lord. Verse 38, and she coming in that instant gave thanks likewise unto the Lord and spake of him to all them that look for redemption in Jerusalem. And so her praise, her worship, her rejoicing was directed towards the Lord. I can just say this. There's times of troubles, disappointments, discouragements, all kinds of things that we have to go through in life and we may experience in life, and you may be experiencing it right now. But you can turn to the Lord and rejoice in who he is. And so directed towards the Lord. Uh, you know, when you praise man, you're always in for a letdown. You know, because I'll guarantee you this. I have found this. Men let you down. Women, too. <laughs> this man will let you down. There's plenty. I got a whole list of people I've let down in the last 35 years of my life. A whole list. Man will let you down, but the Lord never will. So we direct our rejoicing towards him. And uh, I want you to be here tonight. I'm preaching a message tonight entitled, Don't Look Back. I don't know why you would want to look back. Amen. But anyway, don't look back. Directed towards the Lord, delivered by redemption. They look for the redemption of, in Jerusalem. Why? You're not your own. You're bought with a price. Please never forget that who you are and what you look forward to and what you expect to experience in heaven is not because of who you are. It's because the debt has been paid for your soul, which Jesus Christ paid when he died on the cross. Delivered by redemption.
And then, oh, uh, did I skip over a quote? I did, didn't I? All right, I'll get back to it. Don't worry. Uh, delighted in the Lord, in verse 39, says, And when they had performed all things according to the law of the Lord, they returned to Galilee, to their own city, Nazareth. They delighted, they fulfilled all the things that God required of them uh, in his law in the Old Testament. They delighted to do so. Uh, they were happy to do so. And so we can be happy to do so in uh, living our life to rejoice in salvation. You know, the most sour people in the world is someone who really did get saved, who doesn't delight in their God. I mean, I've dealt with a lot of people, and I'm going to tell you, it's a, they're a mess. They're a mess. They just have to humble themselves, repent, and turn back to the Lord again. Delight yourself in your God. Well, Charles Spurgeon said this. I know it's back a couple of slides there, Tommy. One slide. Charles Spurgeon said this. Uh, you will find all true theology summed up in these two short sentences. Salvation is all of the grace of God. Damnation is all of the will of man. People say, I don't believe that God would say, what kind of a God do you say is a love of God? What kind of a God would send man to hell? God doesn't send them to hell. Man sends himself to hell. All that is stated just in the birth of Jesus Christ, the wise men, the shepherds, the angels, Mary and Joseph, John the Baptist, Simeon, Anna, all the people involved in just the celebration of the birth of Christ in reference to all that he would do. If a man dies and goes to hell, it's his own fault. Because God has given grace to us that we could be saved. And where sin did abound, grace did much more abound. So our salvation is all of the grace of God. Our damnation is just us wanting to fulfill our own will. Here's the last thought, David Jeremiah. David Jeremiah said this, Saving us is the greatest and most concrete demonstration of God's love. The def definitive display of his grace throughout time and eternity. There is absolutely nothing greater that God could do for us in saving our soul than what he did when he sent Jesus into this world. You may be here this morning, you might be saying, I'm not sure I'm saved. I died right now, I don't know if I'm going to heaven. I can't say I can rejoice at the fact that, that death may come upon me because I'm fearful what death has for, in store for me. I want you to know this. That Jesus Christ died for you, here in his love, not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be a propitiation for our sins. That's how much God loves us. And he can save your soul this morning. You say, well, I'm saved. I know I'm saved, but I just haven't been too happy. Uh, why don't you start focusing back on Christ again? The interesting thing is, is everything about the Christmas story that we read in Matthew chapter 2, Luke chapter 1 and chapter 2, everything we read in Galatians, everything you'd read uh, in reference to anything in reference to the birth of Jesus Christ, all revolves around the concept of rejoicing and celebration because of the fact that the Messiah has come. He wants to save you. He wants to bless you today. And so let's learn from Simeon, let's learn from Anna, 
Let's be filled with the Holy Spirit of God. Let's allow the leading of God in our life to fellowship and rejoicing in all that God has for us. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much. Thank you so much for the Lord Jesus Christ. We're thankful for this Christmas. And Lord, there's so, so many uh, things that took place, uh, travel, contact, conversations, uh, laws, all these things that took place uh, that were completely under the sovereign will and control of God Almighty for just one reason, and that's to bring a Savior into this world that we might be able to know that we're going to heaven. I pray there's someone watching live stream or someone here in the building that's not sure they're saved. Holy Spirit of God, will you bring conviction upon them? Uh, will you just touch them in a way that you touch Simeon in assuring them whether they're saved or not saved? And then I pray, Lord, that they might come and allow us to take the Bible and show them how they can pray and how they can receive Christ as their personal Savior. And God, I know you make all things new. Nothing will be the same. When Jesus came, everything changed that night. And so, God, I pray that you'd change people's lives this morning. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.